Turn, if you will, again to Matthew chapter 4. Chapter 3, sorry, Matthew 3. Look at the last little section, verses 13 to 17 of Matthew 3. Some places in the world, are, some cultures are filled with all kinds of symbols, and symbolisms. Our culture is not so much. We just kind of, we want the facts and that's all, just straight up and no, no flowery fanfare. At least that's what we say. But in reality, symbols are powerful things, even for us. Otherwise, how do you explain the furor over a Confederate flag flying over the State House in South Carolina? How do you understand the anger when flags were not lowered to half staff because the Marines were killed? Those flags are more than just colored cloth, they're powerful symbols. And symbols matter, for they represent powerful but invisible realities. In our text today, we're told about two powerful symbols. Jesus' baptism by John the baptizer and the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. Our task is to figure out what these things mean. Let me read it. Verse 13, Matthew three thirteen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting lighting upon him. And, And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We have two points this morning corresponding to those two events. The first point is this. Jesus identified with sinners in order to be our Savior. Jesus identified with sinners... In order to be our savior. Most of us since we were kids. Kids you can vouch for whether or not this is still true. I hope it is. We've been warned by our parents to choose our friends wisely. To be careful with whom we associate. For we will quickly be identified with them. For good or for bad. I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus' mom told him the same thing. But now Jesus all grown up is out in the wilderness. Where John was calling sinners to repent and be baptized. And as they were being baptized, Jesus asked John to baptize him too. But Jesus was not a sinner needing to repent. Why would he want to do something that identified him with sinners? Well, John didn't want to do it. He objected. But Jesus insisted, saying it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So what did that mean? Well, think about what Jesus came to do. When he was named Jesus, he was named that because he would save his people from their sins. But God is a righteous judge. He could not just let sin go unpunished. In fact, there could never be a righteous kingdom without the fires of judgment. That's what John was preaching in the wilderness. But then again, if God's judgment destroyed all sinners, 
there would be no one left to populate the kingdom. So how could Jesus bring about God's righteous kingdom without punishing sinners? Or if God let his people sin go unpunished, how could the kingdom ever be righteous? Well, I'll tell you how. Jesus identified with sinners so that he could save them. Let me explain. As Matthew has already shown, Jesus identified with his people. He identified with their slavery in Egypt. He identified with the sorrow of their suffering as they they were exiled to Babylon. He identified with their humble circumstances as he grew up in Nazareth. But all that was not enough. It might make him sympathetic to their needs, but it didn't change the fact that they were sinners under God's judgment. So when people were admitting they deserved judgment and coming to be baptized, Jesus also identified with them in their guilt and their judgment. Though he was not guilty, and he did not deserve judgment. You see, Jesus' baptism was a symbolic act that was pointing forward to the cross. There in the wilderness, Jesus identified with sinners. But on the cross, he would actually take our sin upon himself and and pay for it in order to save us. Perhaps you recall that incident later in the Gospels when Jesus had announced that he's going to go and be taken and captive and uh, be be killed, be crucified. And James and John, um, uh, in that that context, amazingly, James and John said, when, when, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit at your right hand and left? Can we have the favorite positions? And you remember, John's, you remember Jesus' answer to that? He said, I quote here, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Now that answer, Jesus does an interesting thing. He uh, associates the drinking of the cup of God's wrath that we hear about throughout the Old Testament with his enduring baptism of the fires of judgment, with him enduring baptism of the fires of judgment. Those were Old Testament metaphors for what Jesus was about to do on the cross. Drink the cup of God's wrath. Endure the fire of judgment. Now back in the wilderness where John was baptizing years early, no one knew anything about that yet. But Jesus knew. And so he submitted to John's baptism, identifying himself with these sinners as a symbol of the judgment that he would one day endure for them, for us, when he died on the cross to save sinners. Jesus identified with sinners because he came to be our Savior. This reminds me of a wonderful story that I know about uh, President Abraham Lincoln. I think I told it to you years ago, I don't remember. While Abraham Lincoln was president, he invited some of his backwoods Kentuckian friends to the White House for a formal dinner. They seemed a bit out of place with the Washington crowd, but they're the president's friends, so everything went all right, I guess, until after dinner, that is. When the coffee was served, one of Lincoln's friends from back home began to saucer and blow his coffee. You may know what that is. I've seen a few people do that over my years, not many. This is a down-home way to drink coffee. You pour a little coffee into the saucer and blow it till it gets cool and then slurp it out of the saucer. 
That may be the way they drank coffee back in Kentucky, but it was not the way they drank coffee in Washington, not even in 1860. And the Washington elites were appalled. But Lincoln, seeing the situation developing into an embarrassing scene for his friends, quietly poured his coffee into his saucer and began to saucer and blow his coffee just like his friends. In that incident, President Lincoln identified with his backwood friends, caring enough about them to take their embarrassment upon himself in order to save them from the scorn they were about to encounter. And we rightly hear a story like that and admire Lincoln for his faithfulness to his friends and his care for them. But you see, that was nothing compared to what Jesus did. He didn't just take our undeserved embarrassment. He actually took our sentence of death upon himself in order to save us from eternal judgment and make us citizens of God's kingdom. His baptism back there in the wilderness was a token, a symbol of this great truth of the gospel that was yet to unfold, where Jesus identified completely with sinners in order to save us. That's the first truth. There's another symbolic act in this text, and that is the Spirit descending like a dove on Jesus after his baptism. So what's that about? Well, that's our second truth. God's Spirit set aside Jesus to be the Messiah. God's Spirit set aside Jesus or set apart Jesus to be the Messiah. And the word Messiah, you may know, you may not know, in both Hebrew and Greek, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek, basically, the word Messiah means anointed one. In Hebrew, the word is Mashiach. In Greek, it's Christos. So the title Messiah and the title Christ are basically the same. One's from Hebrew, one's from Greek. They mean anointed one. Since the time of David, when it was time for a new king, uh, one of the descendants of his descendants would be anointed by God's prophet and declared to be God's king over his people. Remember how God led Samuel to choose uh, David and anoint him and declare him to be king. In 1 Samuel 16, we read what happened when Samuel first met David. We read, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He's the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. So when the Jews were waiting for the Messiah, waiting expectantly for the Messiah, they were waiting for one of David's descendants who would be God's anointed one, who would come and be their ultimate king and deliverer, the Messiah, the Christ. We now know that Jesus was God's chosen Messiah. The fulfillment of God's promises to David, God's anointed one, the Christ. So when and how was he anointed? What prophet was sent? What symbolic act was performed? What divine word was spoken? Is that not what we have in our text? John the Baptist 
the last and greatest Old Testament prophet, identified Jesus as the promised one, one greater than myself. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. And John baptized him, not because he was a sinner in need of repentance, but because Jesus insisted that God's righteous plan demanded it. And when Jesus came up out of the water, God sent a dove descending uh, and resting upon Jesus as a symbol of God's invisible Holy Spirit. And lest there be any mistake, God himself, not John, spoke the words of consecration. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So God's Spirit anointed Jesus to be the Messiah. Now why does this matter? Jesus is God the Son, the third person of the Trinity. He had been eternally one with both the Father and the Holy Spirit forever. But as the eternal Son took on human flesh and became the man named Jesus, as a man, he would suffer and die in our place in order to bring many sons to glory. And as a man, the descendant of David, he would be exalted to reign over the whole world as God's anointed king. But how could any man, even a perfect man, have such power and authority? He would have to have nothing less than the power and wisdom of God. And that's exactly what God described through the prophets. In Isaiah 11, we read of the coming of this son of David. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. In Isaiah 42, the Lord says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. A few verses later in Isaiah 42, it's God actually speaking to this Messiah, this anointed one who's yet to come. There the Lord says directly to him, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And so what the prophets had foretold for centuries came to pass that day in the Judean wilderness. God anointed Jesus with his Holy Spirit to be the Messiah, the Christ. And thus the ministry of Jesus began. When he spoke, people were amazed. Other people quoted the experts. He spoke as one filled with God's Spirit, spoke with authority the very word of God. And we encountered demonic powers from which others fled in fear. He did so with authority, with one endowed with the power of God's Spirit. He cast out the demons and set their victims free. 
And when he visited the sick and the blind and the lame, those uh, whose suffering were the consequences of the fall, with the power of the Spirit who moved upon the face of the deep in the creation, Jesus moved and reversed the effects of the fall, he bringing healing and life to them. And after Jesus died and was raised again by the power of God's Spirit, he ascended to God's throne, and as promised, he baptized his followers with the Holy Spirit. He gave to those he redeemed the life-giving, indwelling presence and, and power of that same Holy Spirit that he received at his baptism, that we might know and serve the Father as he did. God anointed Jesus with his Spirit that we might know the presence and the power of God's Messiah. Now we live in a much different situation in our day. We live in such a political environment. Here we are more than a year out from a presidential election and the news is full of campaigning and polls. It is just an established fact in our mind that we will choose our leaders and ambitious candidates are marketing themselves with a vengeance. After all, it's all about what we the people want. We will choose who will lead. How different from God's kingdom. God never takes a vote. Jesus never campaigned for public support. Sometimes they loved him, sometimes they hated him. Sometimes they followed him, sometimes they hung him on a cross. But God, by this powerful token of the Spirit descending like a dove, declared Jesus to be his anointed king. That's exactly what God had promised back in Psalm 2 and other places. Where, for example, we hear that though the nations conspired and the people plotted rebellion and the rulers put together their powerful political uh, uh, coalitions against Jesus, God scoffed at their resistance and installed his king anyway, saying, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. You will rule with an iron scepter. And he warned the people, even the kings of the earth, that we have no other option except to serve God's anointed king. Kiss the son, he says, lest he be angry and you be destroyed. Now, all that didn't actually take place until Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection from the dead. But it was symbolized. God's intentions were made clear back in the days of John the baptizer when the Spirit descended upon Jesus as he came up out of the water and God spoke from heaven, identifying Jesus as his Son, God's Spirit set apart Jesus to be God's Messiah. Do people, we need to understand right here at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel that Jesus did not come to establish yet another religion for people to practice in hopes of gaining God's favor. He did not come to give us religious choices to see what fits our fancy. No, Jesus came to bring upon the earth the kingdom of God, the rule of God's Messiah. So today is a great day of grace for sinners whom Jesus came to redeem. But today is also a great day of warning for those who will not honor God's king. In this brief account, we are told about two symbolic acts. 
which looked forward to greater things. First, Jesus identified himself with sinners in order to bear judgment and set us free. The baptism of Jesus looked forward to the cross where Jesus would actually atone for sinners and reconcile us to God. And then God identifying himself with Jesus by anointing him with the Spirit to be our Messiah. The descent of the Spirit, like a dove, pointed forward to the glory of the Messiah's rule. His Spirit-enabled ministry on earth. His resurrection from the dead by the power of the Spirit. His rule at God's right hand from where he gives his Spirit to those he redeems. And thus, by Jesus' death, resurrection, and reign, the kingdom of God is coming on the earth. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word, things that have gone before, the accounts that happened on the earth when Jesus came, and all the things that have uh, flowed from that since, that we might tie it together and try to understand what you're doing. Help us, Lord, to see the centrality of Jesus, our Savior, and Jesus, our Messiah, that we not, might not miss our only hope and our eternal uh, duty to, to know and serve him. We ask in his name. Amen.